Eleanor, thank you for, for reading. Please keep that psalm open as we go through it together. It's going to help you to have it there in front of you as we uh, work our way through. Um, let's pray as we begin. We just uh, sang these words, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Lord God, we know this is true. And so we pray as we look at your word now in this psalm that you would speak to us of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might cause our hearts to put our hope in him. Help us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're here in the second of our series, a second psalm on hope. And last time in Psalm 33, we saw where to place our hope. We saw that Christian hope is a confident and joyful expectation that God will keep his promises to us because of his character, because of his proven faithfulness. That is that the hope that Christianity offers is a real hope precisely because it is placed in God, the God who is the creator and the ruler and our saviour. We hope, and our hope is sure, because he is faithful. But even as Christians who know God, who know the God of hope, we don't always feel hopeful. It's our experience of the world. It often leaves us in hopelessness. In the Hope Explored course that we've been doing on Mondays, we've talked about the D's, disappointment, Death, divorce, depression, debt, disease, disorder, or in one word, darkness. And I wonder, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt in the dark? It may be that this darkness has come upon you recently and you feel that it's starting to swallow you up. Or it may well be that this darkness is on the horizon for us and we just can't see it yet. We can't see it coming, but we will in time find ourselves there. Or it may be, and I know this is the case for many in the congregation tonight, you are walking with someone, you're close to someone who is living in that darkness of hopelessness. And we often just don't know how to help them. Well, Psalm 42, of all the psalms, is what we need when we're living in the dark. It's a really honest account about the experience of hopelessness in the life of a believer. And it teaches us how to place our hope in God when we feel like that. Now, on the service sheet, there are four headings which we're going to look at as we go through. I think that will help you. The four headings in bold. In this psalm, we learn what it's like to be in the dark. We learn how we end up in the dark. We see the God who knows the dark. And we find hope in the dark. That's where we're going tonight. So what's it like to be in the dark? What does it feel like? Well, the psalm uses three water images to convey to us this feeling. First is in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He's spiritually dry, he's thirsty, like a deer that's desperately searching for water in the deserts, but can't find it. So just imagine you're thirsty, you search for the stream in the hot country, but you find it dried up. And so you go to the next valley, and you know that in the next valley there was a stream that used to be there, but you get there and it too has dried up. And so you go on, one after the other, on and on, until your search for water leaves you hopeless. This man has grown weak to the point of defeat and death. He longs to know God's presence, he longs to know God's goodness again, but he just can't seem to locate him. He's thirsty. Then verse 3 introduces our second watery image. My tears have been my food day and night. He finds himself weeping all the time. His tears have replaced his food. They just don't seem to stop flowing. And then later in the psalm, verse 7, our third picture of water, an almost opposite picture He says that he lives in a place in the north of Israel near Mount Hermon. And there the Jordan River crashes over the rocks in these great waterfalls. And he looks at them and he says, that's how I feel. It's like I'm being taken over the falls. He feels like he's drowning, as if he's utterly overwhelmed with it all, deeper and deeper plunging to the bottom, crushed beneath the force of the waters. Deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. All of this is what hopelessness feels like. It's like being thirsty. He thirsts for life-giving water, but the only water that he finds are his tears. And it's like drowning in deep sorrows. And let me just say, throughout the time I spent in pastoral ministry, I've had several people who don't know this psalm, who wouldn't use this language normally, have described themselves in exactly these ways. As if they're sort of all dried out inside, as if they're thirsty. They've said that they go to bed weeping and then wake up only to begin again. And perhaps most common, they feel as if they're drowning, that they're just overwhelmed by it all. They're crashing down and down into the depths. These images describe just what it's like to feel without hope. But the psalmist articulates the sense of hopelessness most clearly in the repeated refrain of the psalm in verse 5, And verse 11, the most famous line from this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He feels cast down. That word's literally to be laid low, to be on the floor. It's as if he can't get up, such is his misery. And he describes his soul as being in turmoil, that sense of, I can't find any peace. 
That's what it's like to be in the dark. Now let me just say, that should give us some comfort. Why? Well, this is someone who believes in God, he's a faithful believer, and he feels this way. This shows us that this feeling, feeling this way is not abnormal, it is normal for believers at some point in their lives to feel just like this in a fallen and broken world. And there's some comfort just in that thought that this is the way that believers feel. We sometimes feel that we would never feel this way, we should never feel this way. But the Psalms aren't afraid to show us that. So that's what it's like. Now how do we end up there? Well, let's see what the Psalm teaches us uh, about that. There's several things it helps us with. It's how we end up in the dark. First of all, through physical isolation. So the psalmist, he longs to go to the temple in Jerusalem. He wants to go and worship, to gather with the Lord's people, to enter his presence once more. To see the end of verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Then he remembers in verse 4 how he used to do that. But it seems that he can't do that anymore. He's separated. He's living in the north of Israel, as we said. He's unable to go to Jerusalem. And that has deeply grieved him. Now, of course, in Old Testament Israel, there was a spatial dimension to God's presence. You could go to a place, to Jerusalem, to be closer to God as he manifested his presence in the temple. That's not the case now. The Jerusalem temple has come down because Christ has come as the new temple, as the presence of God on the earth. And he's given us his spirit so that the, the Apostle Paul can call our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit. So we can know God's presence, in a sense, wherever we are. It's not a direct line from here in this psalm to the experience of the believer uh, in the New Testament, to us. But there are two things just to say on that. One is that we can still feel this way, can't we? We can feel like it's been a long time since we've experienced God's presence in our lives. And I would say, definitely say that's true in my devotional life. There have been times as, we, as I go through in life that I've really felt like that, that God is distant some way. And secondly, a contributing factor for our feeling that way can still be our physical isolation from church, from meeting with God's people to worship and hear his word. I want us to not underestimate what we're doing here tonight and what we did this morning We're the gathered people of the living God, in his presence, under his word, hearing him speak to us and declaring his praises together. And if you take that away, well, we all suffer for it. Of course, we know this to be true, don't we? We know this in a new way over the last year or two. Which of us hasn't struggled with the discouragement of not being able to meet with the Lord's people, of being separated, being not able to experience worship from, from gathering under the word of God. So that's one big factor in all of this. Physical isolation can lead us to this place. 
Second reason we find ourselves struggling is through declining health, and that could be physical or mental. Now, we're not told exactly what the psalmist's condition is, what sort of forced him from, from not going to Jerusalem. It could be physical illness. It could be some kind of disability. Or it could just be simply old age, that he can't travel anymore. Or, and many commentators suggest this, it could be caused by um, his, a struggle with his mental health. And particularly they pick up on verse 3 to indicate that, his, his tears replacing his food day and night. So loss of appetite, disturbed sleep, and tears being common symptoms of depression. Of course, our physical health often affects our mental health and our mental health often affects our physical. So we don't have to choose. But that's another factor in feeling of hopelessness, declining health. And that can be sudden, of course, through injury, or it can be gradual through age. And many of us can testify to that. Third factor, through seeming forsakenness. He feels abandoned by God. And that comes through most clearly in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Now I see seeming forsakenness because it's not actually true that God's forgotten him. But that he feels that way. That's very true because the situation hasn't changed. But look look closely at that verse, verse 9. Even as he says this, it seems that he himself knows that it's not true. Look at how he asks the question. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he knows that God is his rock still. He still knows that, even in the middle of this low point in his life. That's number three, seeming forsakenness. Now the fourth factor, through discouragement from others. This is actually the main reason that he feels forsaken, because people keep telling him that he is. So the rest of verse nine, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in the bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? That's a repeat of what they said in verse 3 when they saw his tears. It's a cruel mocking. You say you believe in God, well then why hasn't he helped you with this problem? Where is your God? We don't actually know if these enemies are non-believers or if it's actually other believers who are saying this to him. It could be that those who claim to be believers look at him and they see his misery and they say, well, look, you wouldn't be feeling this way if you really trusted God. You you need more faith. Or it could be an accusation of sinfulness. You know, God would help someone who was living rightly. So, well, because you're still struggling, well, you must have sinned in some way and this is what happens. Sadly, those kinds of unhelpful comments, they do come from the lips of believers towards those who are suffering sometimes. 
Of course, they just lead to greater discouragement, don't they? You know, he says, they're like a deadly wound in my bones. But notice that this psalm is not evidence of a lack of faith at all. I mean, we might struggle because we don't trust God enough. That might be true, but that's definitely not the case here, is it? I mean, the psalm is full of trusting God. He's praying to God. He thirsts after God, and desperately so. He speaks of the steadfast love of the Lord, of God being his life and his rock and his salvation. He calls him my God. His faith is not lacking. And neither is sin mentioned at all in this psalm. There's a lot of struggle, a lot of it, but there's no confession and there's no repentance. Now again, sin can be the cause of distance between us and God. Of course it can be. None of us are perfectly righteous sufferers. We're easily selfish in our suffering. But this psalm shows us that it's possible to experience isolation, physical and mental suffering, discouragement, forsakenness, darkness, and it not be caused by a lack of faith or our own sinfulness. It can simply be our lived experience of the brokenness of this world. Sometimes we just end up in the dark. They say, well, look, okay, look, I wasn't miserable before, but now I am, having heard uh, this sermon. And uh, to be honest, I feel like that a little bit as well, but there is so much for us here. There is a way to find hope in the dark. In fact, it's very practical. We're going to look in a moment at five really practical ways that this psalm helps us. But before we get to that, I want us to see that there is a wonderful truth here that the God that we worship and hope in is the God who knows the dark. In the TV show, The West Wing, which is one of the sort of great shows of the early 2000s, there's a character called Leo McGarry. He's the, he's the White House Chief of Staff, and he's also a recovering alcoholic. And he's talking to his deputy, Josh, and, he, and he's re- reflecting on his experiences. And uh, they use that to solve a political problem. But this is the story he tells him. He said, this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. And the walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? And the priest, he writes out a prayer and he throws it down the hole and moves on. And then a friend walks by, Hey Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. We have in our God not only one who knows what the dark is like, but one who has been there 
and to an even greater degree than we ever have or ever will be. And yet he's also one who has triumphed over that darkness and offers light and salvation. He knows the way out. The Bible goes on to reveal to us that God, the God of light and love and peace and joy, did not stand aloof from our suffering, just sitting in heaven, just watching from a distance, uttering some encouragement to us. No, that this God entered in. Jesus Christ came down into the darkness. He knew the darkness deep in his soul as he went to the cross. He knew what it was to be on his own, abandoned by others. He knew physical isolation. He knew discouragement. The crowds around him who once shouted songs of praise no longer did so, but cried, crucify him. As he hung on the cross, he heard the mocking shouts. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. You see, where is your God? And he knew mental anguish and excruciating physical pain. The tears of Gethsemane, the torment of Golgotha. He called out, I thirst. And then, of course, the great cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not merely feeling forsaken by God, but actually forsaken by him. And Jesus wasn't there in that place because of his lack of faith or because of his sin. No, he was there because of ours. And there he paid for it all in the depths of darkness, plunged under the waters of the wrath of God as our substitutes. And yet in all that, he never once lost his hope in God. I to wonder if this psalm was very precious to him. He trusted that his father would bring him to life and light once more. And he did, on the third day as he rose from the grave. See, here's the substance of our hope, that because of the cross... Because he came into the darkness, the darkness of this world is not the end of the story. He's provided real hope for us that offers us eternal life in a world where there is no darkness at all, no disappointment, no death, no divorce or depression or debt or disease or disorder. That's where we're going if we trust him. And that's real hope for us. But the gospel is not merely for later, it's also real hope for the hopeless right here and now. Because he's the friend with us in the darkness, having known it himself and who offers us a way out. And this psalm teaches us how to find that way out. So let's look at it together again. How we find hope in the dark. Now, one of the things that you, as you notice about the psalm as you, as you look at it and you read through is that it really flows back and forth. So the psalmist, he moves from despair at the beginning to seeming positivity. Things seem to get better. But then he's back in the pits again. And then he gets positive again, and then he returns to his misery. And that happens throughout the psalm as you go through, but most clearly in verse 8 and 9. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. And you think, well, okay, look, it's getting better, isn't he? He's coming out of it. But then look what he says next. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He's back in despair. It's as if his life is a, is a kind of wrestle with these things. He's fighting it. And sometimes the darkness seems to be winning, gets the upper hand, and then sometimes the hope begins to win out. And this ebb and flow of emotion is just, just what it's like, isn't it? It's just realistic. That's what it's like, isn't it, when we're struggling with these things. And did you notice, too, that the psalm doesn't resolve itself at the end? You notice that? It ends with a commitment to hope, ends with a kind of expectation that, that his hope in God will see him through eventually, but he's still in the middle of the fight. And that's the first thing that we learn when it, when it comes to how to find hope in the dark, is that we mustn't surrender to it. We mustn't give up. We must keep fighting and wrestling to find hope in God. Now, here's how you do that. And there's lots of things we could say, but we're going to move fairly quickly and particularly just pick up five ways uh, that we do that, which are on the sheet for you. So how do we fight to find hope? Number one, we ask questions. Psalm's full of questions, isn't it? Some of them are asked by the adversaries of this man, but he's asking questions. When shall I come and appear before God? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And above all, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Questions. Some are examining his own heart. He's sort of peering into himself, seeing what's going on. He's asking questions of himself. But some are also asking questions of God, aren't they? And that's okay. See, sometimes we are afraid to do that. We might feel it's irreverent somehow to do that. But the Psalms are full of questions, of real, honest, stark questions to God. Now, he stops short of accusing God of wrongdoing. So no, pay attention to that. He doesn't accuse God of wrongdoing. That's not okay. But he will ask why. And God is gracious towards that question, even though he never gets a direct answer to it. It's a part of how he comes to terms with his hopelessness, this question asking. It's how we learn to lean on God. So ask questions. And that, in its way, is part of the second point. Pour out my soul to God. The second way I fight to find hope, I pour out my soul to God. And that's mentioned in verse 4, that phrase, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. But actually the whole psalm is this, isn't it? Now it's not complaining, it's not moaning to others about how bad I've got it. It's coming to God in prayer and emptying our hearts before him, telling him what's going on, telling him what we're feeling. And we need to get better at this, I think. 
And if I could say for a moment, my instinct is that, that men in particular are rubbish at this. We'd much rather, rather prefer, pretend that it's not happening. We'd much rather shove it all inside and build this kind of hard wall around our hearts. But this is biblical manliness, to pour out your heart before God, to trust him with what's going on inside. So that's number two. Number three, remember God and the good times. Twice we're told that the psalmist remembers. He remembers the good times of worship that he's had in the past, verse 4. And he remembers God himself, verse 6. Now people who are, who are struggling in hopelessness, struggling in darkness, they often struggle to remember. And they're focused on what's going on now. It's sort of life kind of crowds in on them. They can't see much further than what's in front of them. And so they forget that it's not always been like this. Something helpful about remembering what it was like to be joyful, to be with the people of God in worship in particular. We're to look back, we're to remember. And that in its way helps us to find hope again, that it might be the same again one day. And it will, even if in this life it isn't. In the next life, of course it will be. So we're to remember. But not just the good times, we're to remember God as well. This is verse 6. Remember here, remember his character, his faithfulness, his steadfast love. See, we forget really easily, don't we? So we must remember, push ourselves to remember. That's number three. Number four, sing. This is a simple one. Sing. Now, I remember um, a funeral of a close a friend of mine and his wife at the, at the funeral didn't want any singing. Um, I, I'm not, I never quite worked out why they didn't want any singing, um, but I think it was just a very difficult kind of uh, death and, and they just got to that point where they, that was what they'd settled on. And it was the worst funeral that I've ever been to. It was, it was awful. It was really, really sad. And this was a Christian believer, this was someone who loved the Lord who, uh, and someone who would um, love singing as well. And it was as if it just, did, it just didn't help us to grieve. It didn't help us to move through the darkness. And this psalm would testify to the benefit of singing when we're in the darkness. Of course, the psalm itself is a song. You get that in the title. It's for the choir master. It's to be sung by the congregation. It's to be sung with all its sadness and with all its hopefulness. But look at verse 8. At night his song is with me. In the dark, in the quiet of the night, the old songs just return to our minds. Now for me, and particularly over the death of my friend at this time, there are two songs that, that I discovered were planted in my heart. I didn't know they were there, but during those sad times, they just came back. One was about the character of God, the song that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. I don't know if we sing that here. I don't know if we have recently. Speaking of the character of our God, and one that most people know about the cross, the when I survey at the wondrous cross. 
Now, they're songs of the past. They're songs that I knew as a child, songs that were embedded into my heart, buried here somewhere. And in those moments, they came back to my mind. I remember once walking down the road and singing, uh, The Lord is Gracious and Compassionate, and walking past a garden and someone seeing me do it and just looking at me like, what is he doing? (laughs) Um, And I stopped singing because I was embarrassed. But it was just a wonderful sort of balm to my heart to sing these old songs. At night, his song is with me. So sing. Sing your way back into hope. That's number four. And then finally, preach to my soul. This is the refrain of the psalm, verse 5 and 11. It's the main way to put your hope in God. Look at what he does, verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Preach to your own soul. We're to reason with ourselves. We're not to give way to our hearts. We're to speak to them, to preach to them of what we know of God and of what we know to be right. So we say to ourselves, look, you know the truth. We preach that hope in God and the Lord Jesus Christ is not foolish, that it's not uncertain, that it's the way forwards. I say to myself, in Christ I have one who has bought me salvation. I have one in him who knows what it is to be in the deepest darkness and to find a way out. I have a friend in Jesus who is here with me right now. He's promised to be and he shall bring me through. He always has in the past. And he always will. Preach to your soul. That's Psalm 42. It's how we place our hope when we're in the dark. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we praise you that you have given us real hope, hope that meets, uh, that, that sort of gives us what it promises, hope that meets all of our needs. Thank you that you've confirmed this to us by the death and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through him we have the hope of eternal life. Help us to trust him. Help us to speak to our own hearts and souls that we might put our hope in him Oh Lord God, we praise you for what we've heard and we ask that you make it real to our hearts tonight by your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen.